This podcast contains adult themes and potentially triggering content. Dear Survivor, you don't owe anyone an explanation. Hi, I'm Rosa Martin, and welcome to the Dear Survivor podcast. This show hosts conversations with survivors of sexual violence, exploring how trauma has shaped their lives moving forward. Hi. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm waving like people can see me. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> I felt it. I felt the wave. <laughs> uh, so I'm Rosem. I'm a photographer and nurse based in Baltimore. I am also a survivor working on advocacy for the community, initially through this photography project called Wildflower. And now I've expanded to other mediums like audio. And now I want to introduce Rachel Wisniewski. Thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate you. Can you introduce yourself for our listeners? So my name is Rachel Wisniewski. I'm based in Philadelphia. I'm a freelance photojournalist. Um, and yeah, I met Rosem through Missouri Photo Workshop in 2019. And yeah, we've been friends since then. <laughs> so aside from being good friends, Rachel is also a survivor. She produced this photography project called Memento, documenting herself and other survivors. And I feel like this puts us in a very similar trajectory of folks who have put our own stories out there and have also worked with other survivors and processing what happened to us. So yeah, I think there's just so much we can really talk about for this first episode. Um, uh, let me start with why did you agree to be part of this podcast, Rachel? You know, like when, sorry, I'm going to get a little off topic, but I'm going to answer this. <laughs> okay. You know when like someone's like rude to you or something, and then when someone's trying to console you about it, they're like, listen, that wasn't even about you. Like, that was, like, something they're going through. Like, they were projecting. I do feel like most things that we do in life, whether we know it or not, it's, like, self-motivated or because of what we're going through. And certainly I hope that my experiences can help other people. But if I'm being honest, like, why I did my project to begin with and why I'm like down to talk with you. It's like also to help myself in my journey to help me work on validating myself and my story more to like increase my confidence there to like, you know, help me in my journey to healing. So it's just helpful for me to, to talk things out too. And hopefully me talking it out happens to help someone, but yeah, it's just been, it's validating for me, honestly. Mm -hmm. it's, it's same for me. I feel like it's really healing for me to speak with other survivors and like really have these intimate talks with people and just kind of really learn their experiences and, and like the life after. And I think that's really something I, I want to focus on. So this podcast is actually part of a large, larger Dear Survivor project. And my goal 
for everything is really to build community support and resources for survivors of sexual violence um, on this website uh, called dearsurvivor.org. And this started off as a photography project where I spent time with survivors as we do are together and it, it's still ongoing. And really inspired by this idea, I had asked Rachel to fill out these templates. So her message today actually serves as the art for today's episode. Uh, so do you mind reading for us your message, Rachel? Okay, so yeah, I wrote two things. Um, on the first one, I wrote Dear survivor, you should never feel like you have to prove that what happened to you was bad enough. And then in the second one, I wrote, Dear survivor, you don't owe anyone an explanation. Really, really important things for people to hear, I think. And is there kind of a story behind that that made you really think about that this should be the message I want out there? Yeah, so I think... Um, these are messages that I want to hear and that I wish that I had heard sooner. Um, and so I'm hoping that they might be helpful affirmations for other people. But I think for me, um, a major reason why I even started my project Memento was I was feeling like other people were demanding explanations from me about my experience with assault and I was constantly feeling like I had to prove that what happened to me uh, was was bad enough, in quotes, for this other person to, to validate the experience. And um, it was really hard for me to feel like it was only an assault if other people said it was an assault. And it was kind of a long journey for me to build up the self-confidence to say, I know this happened. I believe this happened. No one else has to test to agree because they weren't there. And um, I think that there's this horrible comparison game that, I mean, I do with myself as well, but there's such a, a variety of things that can happen when we're talking about assault. And so I feel like I'm constantly even wondering about myself. Oh, is what happened to me, quote unquote, bad enough because this person experienced it worse or this person experienced more violence or prolonged trauma than I did? And I invalidate myself in that process. And so I feel like I also wrote those things as like a mantra to myself to remind myself that I don't have to prove anything, that there is no, quote unquote, bad enough. Everything is everything that happens in assault is bad enough. Um, and yeah, just kind of trying to combat my own imposter syndrome here. Yeah, I mean, I'm first of all, I'm really sorry that we're connected through such you know devastating experiences. And you're you're right. It's there's no bad enough. It is bad enough. Like any form of violence towards anybody should just never happen to begin with. And and the fact that we're always kind of forced to justify it or like weigh it against other people um, as a way for for you to like feel to I guess to to belittle your experience is really not not okay. 
Yeah, that's true. And I don't know if this would be helpful or not. And you can tell me, but if it, if it would be helpful for me to like speak more in detail about my experience, um, I don't know if that would be too heavy for like where we're at in this episode, but I know that I feel like the stories that I have always heard about assault never mirrored what happened to me. And so I wonder if there's like some power and validation to be found in like putting stories out there that people can relate to their own experiences I mean, I think that that's definitely valuable for people to hear that, like a the vast array of experiences. I really just don't want to pressure people to like share their experiences. Like I want it to be a space where it's really totally up to you what we talk about and and what we don't talk about. And you, you can also like if we ever touch a part where you don't want to talk about it, like I'll even keep the part where you're telling me not to talk about it just to like hone in on the fact that this is not me pressuring you at all to like share what you don't want to share. But if you feel like, like if you feel like this is the right moment and you're feeling good right now to share it, you're more than welcome to. And then you're always welcome to like change your mind in the editing process and I can like just take it out. Yeah, totally. I think this opens up like a, a big important topic about consent also about how it's it's rolling about how someone can agree to something in the beginning and change their mind later and that like is still a relevant conversation when it comes to talking about your story you can want to to talk about it and then later not um and then I feel like I also want to make sure that you are in the headspace to talk about it also Oh, yeah, definitely. I really feel good today after yesterday's therapy session. So I'll be okay. (laughs) Okay, good. So yeah, I won't go into like the nitty gritty details because I also want to make sure that I'm not triggering anyone. But I can kind of talk generally about what happened to me. Um, So basically, when I was in college, there was a guy that I knew from high school. Actually, we were acquaintances in high school. I ran into him again at a party in college and um, we decided to hang out a second day. I viewed it as a date. I'm not sure if he did or didn't. Um, But basically we went to a party together. We did drink while we were there. We went back to my apartment and when we got back to my room, I tried to make it clear immediately from the get-go that I was okay with other things happening but did not want to have sex with him and I felt like that had kind of been drilled in to me to say it as early as possible because I felt like in college I would always be called a tease by boys and I feel like that was their weird like deflection method when they wanted to go further than I did they would just shut shut it down and I guess I don't know if it helped their ego or something to say like oh well you were doing other things so like you're a tease if you wanted to set this boundary here 
So I made sure that I said it really up front. I'm okay with other things, but don't want to have sex with you. And I mean, at that point, I think I'd only slept with two people. So sex was still like a very sort of like special thing for me. And I just want to say that like, it wouldn't have changed even if I had slept with more people before then. Um, And I think like it could be your, your first time or your millionth time and consent is obviously still equally important. Um, but basically other things were happening. I did not change my mind or tell him that I was now okay with having sex. But in the process of this other things happening, he just like inserted himself into me And not only did we not have a discussion about it, but he also was not wearing a condom. And we had not had a discussion about whether I was on birth control or not. And I I was on birth control, thankfully, but that still doesn't mitigate the risk of STDs. And so there was no discussion. He just felt entitled to do that. It was very jarring for me to feel like i didn't have control over what was entering my body. And um, I got very upset at him. And there was really no apology on his behalf. And in fact, he told me that he thought I had changed my mind. I'm not sure why, because I didn't verbally change my mind, or, you know, in any reality, change my mind. But That was the impression that he said that he was under. And then I think that the circumstances that really muddied my experience with this event was that at the time, I honestly didn't feel empowered enough to kick him out and make him go home. Like, I think kind of the irony is that even though he had just assaulted me, I was thinking of him. I was thinking, okay, it's late at night. I would feel really bad making him walk home alone now. So, okay, fine. He can stay over. I think while it's understandable from my perspective that I, at the time, thought that that was the best thing to do, I do think that it allowed him to take less responsibility because it allowed him to to downplay it by saying, oh, well, she let me stay over. So how upset was she really? And that kind of um, messed with me after the fact and made me feel like I should have acted differently. And then after he did leave the next morning, I was living with roommates at the time. I remember coming out of my room and saying to them, this happened last night. I feel really uncomfortable and really weird about it. And no one said that shouldn't have happened to you. That was assault. No one asked for one to report it. In fact, everyone's reaction was kind of just like, oh, ew, weird. And I felt like it really was just dismissed as like, oh, weird. This is just this thing boys do. Like, sorry. But no one else put the word assault to it. It was very much a journey I had to take individually to 
realize that that's what it was, to claim that that's what it was, to have confidence that that's what it was. And I feel like I only fully reached that place after I saw like a graphic on social media that was talking about how uh, someone not using a condom without your consent is a form of assault. And um, I mean, there was that, but then there also just was the fact that I didn't want to have sex with him. So that's like, I think objectively, yes, it was assault, but it did take a long time for me to realize that that's what it was because no one else validated for me that that's what it was. And like a good friend of mine literally said, oh, I thought you were like raped, raped. As in what happened to me wasn't violent enough for her or wasn't prolonged enough for her, for her to see it as assault. And so it's taken a lot of self-confidence for me to realize that that's what it was and to also like forgive myself for that initial reaction that I had because I feel like I've been really hard on myself for not um, forcing him to go home after. Like I feel like I can take some comfort in knowing that I told him I didn't want to do it and I know I know I didn't even need to do that. Like, of course, you don't always have to to say verbally no for, for it to be something that you didn't consent to. But I do think it messed with me a little bit that I didn't force him out of my house. And I've never talked to him again, not even once. He's never tried to reach out to me. So I think with no apology from him or acknowledgement from him, it's really just been a solo journey for I have to validate myself because no one else is going to validate me wow I'm I first I want to thank you for sharing that I think it's incredibly hard to share something so personal and something that you know a lot of people had already like doubted your experience and I think I'm just like so heartbroken for you that that was your experience. I'm like heartbroken for a lot of people that this is just people's daily experience. And and like not only was that absolutely wrong and absolutely rape, and just the fact that like afterwards, you know, like there's no validation afterwards. There's no support afterwards. There's no really real resolution afterwards aside from you like finding your validation, finding that little social media like info infographic that tells you what that experience is. And that's really absolutely unacceptable. And it's just, I'm really sorry that that's, that's your experience. And at the same time, I'm, I'm like angry for you. And I also unfortunately can relate to the whole experience. Uh, and that's also even more sad. Like, like I, I was raped when I was 18 and I didn't even know that it was rape. Like I didn't have the words right. And it took me like 10 years to like call it for what it is. Very similarly to your experience because you're experiencing it by yourself and nobody is really validating you. Nobody gave you the tools or the definitions or the words to like really call it for what it was. 
and like I had to be raped again when I ten years later for me to be like, holy shit, like this happened again, uh, and I and now I'm just like no more, you know, and it's really it's really devastating that this is a very common experience for a lot of people, especially women. Yeah, I'm so sorry that happened to you as well, and thank you for sharing that. I mean, I know it's not easy and I really appreciate this like safe space that we have here where we're able to to share this stuff because it's not easy I think like to what I was speaking earlier about invalidating myself I think what's interesting is that the word survivor certainly is very empowering of course it's a million times better than using the word victim because it allows us to 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 reclaim and uh, yeah, more choose how we're defining the experience. But I guess sort of the irony is that because no one else gave me the tools or the words or the validation, if I'm being honest, I feel like I've always felt a little bit guilty or sort of like imposter syndrome when someone uses the word survivor about me because in the same way that other people made me feel like what happened to me wasn't violent enough or prolonged enough. When I hear the word survivor towards other people, it feels very appropriate. And then to me, I feel like I always have this gut reaction of like, am I allowed to use that word? Did, did what I, is what I experienced bad enough that I'm able to use that word. And uh, yeah, what what I mean when I say imposter syndrome is it feels like, oh, that word is used for people who really overcame something super horrific. And what I experienced wasn't quote unquote bad enough in comparison. So am I allowed to call myself this? Um, And yeah, it's been sort of a, a journey in that way too of validating myself and my experiences and that sort of title that I'm allowed to use for myself in response I guess I mean I don't know what word I would use if I used a different word I feel like that is the word to use but um yeah that's been like a struggle that I didn't anticipate having but that there's this sort of guilt that comes up whenever someone uses that word to describe me. Mm -hmm. I definitely feel that way. Like I definitely have been using the word survivor for myself just because I feel like that's what I should use, but I never really like felt like I should like, like, I guess we are given this idea that we have to feel this very, like I, I survived, but, but I'm still surviving, you know, like, and just that, it, I guess it feels like a period where you're, you're, it's not quite a period yet. And like you, you feel like you, you have to use it, but you still don't own the word. And I, I definitely, I definitely can relate to that. I even like wrote a journal about how, okay, I'm using the word survivor, even if I don't really know that I own it, you know, I'm just using it because I know I have to use it. And it's kind of, it's, it's, I feel like it really speaks to the struggle and the insecurity of 
of our experiences because our experiences are gray and but we were told that it's only a black or white event right and even just like even like letting him stay over i think that's a very natural survivor response of like fight it's right fight flight or freeze and i think a freeze is very very common for women like you don't want to anger your aggressor so you become a very peaceful submissive person and i think because that is very common in women and that's very common when people are in a traumatic situation when we choose that path people always take that as like see it wasn't so bad even if it, it was bad it was really bad that was absolutely unacceptable but for at the end of the day you prioritized your safety and you thought that that was the safest way to go yeah yeah i i really appreciate um the validation in that because yeah i think that you're right that um people can question the way that you respond to these events especially if it's not the way that they envision that they would respond and not speaking of assault specifically but also in college i was robbed and that was its own different kind of trauma i was like held up at gunpoint and i had a lot of ptsd from it and one of the most triggering things that I experienced after the fact was this girl in my major at school. She wanted to hear about the story, kind of similar to like these assault stories. People just like want to know everything and they don't really consider how hard it will be for you to tell. And I was like, okay, I um, took a deep breath and told her, the story, it was really hard for me to do. And then in response, the first thing that she said, because basically when this guy asked for my wallet, I just handed over my wallet. And her first response was, why didn't you scream? I would have screamed. And I'm thinking, if I screamed, he could have like shot me. And I didn't scream and now I am alive. So like, how can you fault me for, you know, doing what I needed to do. I mean, sure, maybe I could have still been alive if I screamed too, but like, I feel like I did what I needed to do. Now I'm here, I'm alive. So there should be no questioning after the fact of what I needed to do to get here. It was really upsetting to me that like, she had never experienced this before. She was just saying, what she thinks that she would have done in this scenario. But in reality, she has no idea what her gut instinct would be in this scenario. And the fact that her instinct was also to critique me in my response and that my response wasn't adequate for her uh, was very upsetting for me. <laughs> I was very triggered by that event. And... I think that there's certainly a lot of parallels in the trauma response there, but it's interesting, even though I feel like I have not had the the confidence in the story of my assault to know that my freeze response was just like a biological survival method. I have definitely known that my freeze response was the biological response method in my 
robbery experience. And I feel like only just now have you helped me to connect the dots that like the assault experience was also a natural biological response and that I can't really fault the way that my body responds to a threat if the response is what allows me to survive that. So I really appreciate you helping me to connect those dots. And I feel like that's one thing that's amazing about talking about our experiences with therapists and with friends is that uh, there's healing that comes out of it that you never could have anticipated. Like, I feel like you've just given me permission to um, forgive myself for that response. Uh, I mean, I am really just happy to be here and help you on your journey. And I, I want you to know that you also have helped me in just like hearing another person have a very parallel experience to myself, um, especially like that experience is very similar to my first experience of rape that I really don't talk about. Um, yeah, and just having somebody like verbalize that experience that's something I could truly relate to is just also very healing I'm really for glad me. to hear that <laughs> how are you feeling like just talking about this right now I mean it certainly is cathartic to get it out, to make these connections, to be validated by you. Like, I can't thank you enough for that. I feel like um, I've obviously not been shy about, like, having to, to struggle with the confidence that I have in claiming this and knowing that it happened to me and knowing what it was, whether or not other people validate it. And so I feel like I'd be lying if I didn't say that I'm a little bit nervous for after this podcast releases. I, I know that I'm going to have to be in this headspace of being very strong in my knowledge of like, whatever people say, I know that this happened to me. I know my response is valid. And I certainly would like to think that we will only receive positive responses to it. Um, but I know that I'm going to have to like gear myself up for a potentially invalidating response. Mm -hmm. I mean, I definitely try. Yeah. I definitely prepare myself for the worst. Um, I hope for the best prepare for the worst. I definitely avoid comments. Like I, like I, I also try not to make space for that. Like if there is a way for me to post this podcast without comments, I probably would do it. Like I know some people are like, well, comments are helpful to validate your experience. But like, I feel like just having one negative comment is really like not worth it, <laughs> you know? And I think even just having people like, if you, like I had, a when I put out my project, somebody gave me the idea, oh, maybe you can assign a group of people who can like look through the comments and just send you the good ones so it, you get like a validating experience. But I, I feel like that's also like traumatic for people to ask them to do that and navigate through like the heaviness. So I will like, I don't know 
how podcasts work, posting it out there. But if there is a way to like disable comments, I will definitely do it. Um, and I think if people really do want to give us feedback, like hopefully positive feedback, they would just like take a few more steps and send an email. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that this goes back to like something that we've briefly discussed before of like, you have to put yourself out there to like, you have to be vulnerable to help yourself and to help other people. But then also obviously being vulnerable opens you up to the possibility of getting hurt. And like, this is something that happens across the board. We made the connection to like dating earlier and it's the same way. I mean, if you don't let someone else get to know you, then you can't form a relationship with them. Um, and, but then also, obviously, if you don't want them to get to know you, they can't hurt you. And so I feel like that's something that certainly does stop a lot of people from being emotionally available in relationships. But I think preventing yourself from getting hurt also prevents you from receiving the benefits and the connections that come with vulnerability. And so uh, while we are opening ourselves up for the potential negatives, I would like to think that we're also opening ourselves up from for the positives. And I mean, comments aside, like I'm receiving positives right now. Like I think I'm connecting with you on this really amazing level because of this shared vulnerability that's happening in this space. So that's like, you know, a, a reason in the pro column to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I really just want to thank you again for, for sharing such really just really difficult experiences. And I think you really touched up on one of the really big topics that I, I really want to highlight, which is like people's immediate reaction. Like it really can make or break a survivor. And I think like sometimes I, in, throughout this process, I feel like I've been really disappointed because like people who I know are survivors have not responded to me in a way that I thought they would have. And a, a really like a really interesting thing my therapist told me is like when people hear something traumatic, it brings them back to their own trauma. So even if they they want to react appropriately, the way they react is usually how people have reacted to them. So it like really just perpetuates the cycle of people <laughs> responding horribly and then ruining people's survivor and healing experiences. And I, I really kind of want to break that cycle so much and in like how can we be better how can we teach people to be better in responding like what would you have wanted people to have said to you yeah I think um I think that the best response in my opinion and this can really go for anything traumatic that happens is if someone were to just first ask like how are you how are you feeling I think for someone to center my emotions in it immediately would have been really helpful because I felt that a lot of people centered themselves. So I think that that would have been helpful. And 
I think just if someone tells you their experience to thank them for sharing it, to acknowledge the privilege that they trust you with this information and that like, then hopefully you take that seriously and don't abuse that trust. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think there's obviously, um, statistically, it's not always been the best road to report assault. Unfortunately, most people are not held accountable. So I don't think that anyone should be forced to report, but I think it would be helpful if people were asked if they want to report to just given that option. Because um, I think that a big part of informed consent is understanding your options and feeling like you have the autonomy to make a decision. And I feel like I didn't even have any choices laid out for me. So I wasn't able to make a decision for myself. And so it felt like other people sort of made that decision for me. And so I think in any of these scenarios, when someone feels like they're not in control, when something happened to them that was someone else's choice, I feel like doing whatever you can to bring the choice back to that person of like, what do you want to do? What would be most helpful for you? How can I help you? What would be most healing? Do you want to talk about it? Do you want to not talk about it? Like, I think... Whatever it is, it should be on the survivor's terms, obviously. And so I think the response just centering the survivor is, like, the best thing that you can do. Mm-hmm. That Those are, like, really, really good pieces of advice. And I think you really articulated yourself really well. And hopefully people will learn a lot from that. And I think even for myself, like, I did not growing up – no, I did not grow up – learning how to respond like I learned how to respond when things happen to me and I realized that this is not the way people should be responding to this and to be honest I don't know if I've done people wrong in the past especially when I was younger on the way that I reacted but but now I know that I can improve myself moving forward and and like correcting your very initial reactions to be like, no, that is not the right way to react. And that's not okay. But you can make it okay. And you can make it better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, you know, better you do better. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you take care of yourself? Like, do you have kind of a self care plan after this call? I love journaling so much because I feel like I uh, just like, I'm a very emotional person I feel like my emotions can really sort of like bubble up inside me and take over and so for me journaling is like a very physical way to like get the thoughts out of my head and like transfer them somewhere else and so I journal kind of very like stream of consciousness In real life, I always feel a lot of pressure to say the right things. But in my journal, since I know no one's going to read it, I can just say whatever I want to say. And so that's been really helpful. And um, yeah, I feel like my self-care 
always just involves like me pushing aside the guilt of what I feel like I should be doing and just kind of indulging myself about what I want to do. And so that will often involve like watching a shitty reality TV show, reading a book, eating cake. I like love desserts so much. And so I feel like there's this, um, yeah, this fight against like, okay, should I be eating healthier? Probably. But do I want to be? No. So I'm going to do what I want to do in this moment. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's awesome. Um, Do you have any like, specific like self-care like things that you do when you're super triggered Hmm. yeah I think for me it always feels helpful to talk about things because I think the longer I hold things in the more it like churns me up and makes me nauseous it makes me overthink things and so when I feel like I'm in the headspace to advocate for myself I find that to be helpful. Um, But I think even if I'm just venting to like a party that's unrelated to the topic at hand, I think just getting it out is helpful. Having someone else validate like that makes sense that you're feeling that way. That makes sense that you're upset has been very helpful for me. And I think a big key for me in that arena is knowing who to talk to like Um, there's been times where I've reached out to people who are not super emotional and tried to talk to them about my feelings and they did not validate me and that made it worse. And I, I've had to do a lot of work to be like, okay, think about the response that you want and then go to someone who you think will give you that response. And so there's people that I call specifically, like in the same way that, you know, my dad's an engineer, so I'm going to call him if I want to fix something. I won't call my mom because she doesn't know how to fix things, right? So it's like when I want validation, it's like knowing who is going to give that to me and then calling those people to like set up a situation where like I can't fail, where like I know I'm going to get exactly what I want and need in that scenario, um, and then that's that's really helpful mm-hmm. for me. I mean, I think that's a really great plan. Like I like I feel like it's always hard because it's always about managing expectations where you expect that this person can give you these things and then you realize that they can't. And then eventually you through trial and error you learn like, okay, which people can I expect these certain things from and which people can you not expect that from? And it's not, you know, it's not a question if they're a good friend or not it's just some people are just not able to give you what you need yeah yeah and I think that that's like something that can be harder when you have just experienced a fresh trauma and then obviously kind of the first person you talk to about it is going to have the most impact on you and sometimes we can't choose who that first person is because they're just like who's in the vicinity Um, and so not that it's always something that we, we can choose, but if we can't control how other people react, we can at least control who we allow to react. 
And so not that it's our responsibility to to decide how someone responds to our trauma. Maybe that's one small area where we can retain some control is just choosing who we allow to even have that effect on the post-trauma. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. (laughs) Yeah, of course. I'm sorry to throw just all of that at you. (laughs) No, don't be sorry. I think... I think it really opened us to having a really fruitful conversation about consent, about experiences, about what's not okay, and and just like learn. And I think you offered a lot of vulnerability for people that I know many people would really, really appreciate. So thank you. Thank you for all of the things you've shared. I actually will share with you my little art for the day. Oh my gosh. So I wrote, Dear Survivor, I am always rooting for you. And then on my other thing, I wrote, Dear Survivor, it is an incredibly difficult journey ahead. Know that I am rooting for you. You can and will survive this. There will be moments of hope, joy, and meaning one day at a time. Oh my God, I have chills. That was so beautiful. That was so incredibly validating. And also your handwriting is gorgeous. It's like perfect (laughs) handwriting. I know people might not be able to see it as I'm saying it, but trust me, it's perfect handwriting. I cheated a little bit because it's like those fonts where you like write each letter and it creates your handwriting into a font. So that's my little handwriting into a font. It's beautiful. (laughs) But those are such perfect things to say. Because I feel like, like you said, um, there can be more pressure on receiving that perfect response from other survivors. And I know you've been disappointed in the past with other survivors not reacting in the way that you would have hoped. And I think that that phrase would have meant something coming from anyone, but it feels like it means even more coming from someone who gets it. And it's like even more validating because they're like, oh, if this person says it, it must be true. You know, it feels like you have some some authority to kind of validate. And and so it means a lot that you're that you're using that. Yeah, I think. I think in the beginning, I kept sharing my story. Like when I was like 10 years later and this happened again, I just really kept telling my story, not knowing what I wanted out of it. But looking back now, I realized I wanted validation. And eventually somebody gave me validation. But it it took me like a lot of like opening up the box to figure out who are these people who would give me validation. So now like I know how important that is how important it is to have somebody tell you that I'm rooting for you that you can do this that it's gonna be okay yeah and I think it's such a a base human response because I feel like when you think about like a little kid falling off the swings like all they want is their mom to like kiss their boo-boo and say you're gonna be okay and and I think that like It's not that their mom kissing it actually heals the wound, like physically heals it, but it helps them to feel better about it and to feel like they can go 
back in play because their mom like took the time to give them attention and to give them validation and care. Um, so I think it makes complete sense that that's still what we want as adults is just validation that our, our wounds are real and that people that we care about want to, to heal them. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Thank you so much, Rachel, for sharing your time, your experiences, your, your life experiences that will definitely help and shape and heal a lot of people. Thank you so much. I thank you. I really appreciate you creating this space to share because, um, I mean, this is a hard thing to talk about and it also seems like a thing that you can feel afraid to bring up because you don't want to like kill the vibe of a, of a conversation or a party or whatever. And so I really appreciate having this space dedicated to just like, we can open up, there will be no judgment here, like there will just be like a an accepting listening ear and validation. And so it's made it like a very a comfortable space to share this. And this has been very healing for me. Thank you so much. It has also been very healing for me. And I hope that our listeners will feel the same way. Oh, I hope so too. <laughs> this is the Dear Survivor podcast with Rosem Martin. I would highly encourage some self-care after listening to this episode. Our website, dearsurvivor.org, offers resources and links for both survivors and allies. Reach us at the Dear Survivor Project at gmail.com. Thank you to Philippe de Silva for the music, Claudine Delphine for the main graphics, and Rachel Wisniewski for being our guest.